0: And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software. I do want to encourage you to check out our other podcast. In particular, I'm going to mention our video theater podcast over at videotheater.greatdetectives.net. It's the companion podcast to this one only with classic television and movies that are in the public domain. Currently, we are featuring episodes of U.S. Marshall and Dangerous Assignment. So check that out over at videotheater.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it is time for the first two parts of this week's Johnny Dollar Serial. The original air dates November 28th and 29th, 1955, and it's The Henderson Matter, episodes one and two.
1: From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Deller. Tim Connors, John, boy.
2: Congratulate me. Congratulations, Tim. What for? I just had another boy. Seven pounds, twelve ounces. Hey, you like cigars? Sure. Well, oh, come on down, pick one up. Oh, maybe you better pack
3: a suitcase, too. I got one for you out in Culver,
2: Montana. Where is that? I just
3: told you. Out in Montana somewhere. We have a debt policy holder there named Henderson.
2: Henderson, huh? Yeah.
3: Now, we don't know if he was murdered, committed suicide, or had an accident.
2: What does it look like? All three. Okay, Tim. Be there in an hour.
1: Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Paramount Insurance Adjusters, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Henderson matter, whatever it's going to be. Expense account item one, dollar and a quarter for a detailed map. I had an idea that Culver, Montana was a place that only Rand McNally might know about. They did. I found it tucked up in the high northern corner of the state near Great Falls. Hey, where's your bag? Home. I told you to pack it. Now, look, John... me a cigar, Tim. Tell me about the new boy and the new case.
3: Okay, have a chair. There you are. I wouldn't smoke it if I were you. Terrible. Cost me two bucks a box. Hey, you know something? I'm thinking of naming the new boy Johnny. Oh, tough case, huh? Yeah. Hmm? Look, look, we're in the same sweet old spot, Johnny. Same old problem. One of our policyholders is dead, and for looking into the circumstances of his death... The insurance company is no longer a friend of the widow and orphan, but a big, bad monster trying to weasel out of a just claim.
2: All claims are just claims. Or are they?
3: Well, of course they are. No one ever tried to pull a fast one on an insurance company while the world's full of nice, honest, straight-playing people. Uh Ah, now
2: tell me about getting sandbagged in a poker
3: game. Look, I want to get this out of the way and get back over to the hospital and see my wife. Now, John, this claim came into the insurance office yesterday afternoon, airmail special. The insurance company turned it over to me today. What company? Western. The policy's worth $25,000 face value. Double indemnity if death was by accident. No payment for suicide.
2: Uh Uh-huh. You say the man's name was Henderson?
3: Yeah, it says here, George Walter Henderson, Montana rancher. Last Thursday, he fell four stories out of a hotel window in Culver and died instantly. At least that's what we have in this report here. Somebody could have shoved him, or he could have taken the leap. Now, we have to know for certain. Oh, what's on the claim report? Accidental. There was no inquest, no police investigation, and that's not good enough for us. Uh-huh. This Henderson prominent? Well, he was big enough, Johnny. Cattleman, rancher. He was also a major stockholder and the only newspaper in Culver, so I doubt if his paper would suggest suicide or anything else. Do you? I don't know, Tim. I never met the editor. Well, meet him if you like. Talk to him. Talk to anybody in Culver. Find out what was what. Phew, this is a lousy cigar. Johnny... You know how to handle these things. We have to have more information than this. Have you tried to do anything on it at all? Yeah, I phoned the sheriff's office long distance and talked to a man named Holton. Eve Holton. He said he'd be happy to cooperate. Uh, What else? I phoned the beneficiary to get some information. Name's Pauline Henderson, his widow. Is she going to cooperate too? I don't think so, pal. Huh? She hung up on me.
1: We will continue with the Henderson matter in a moment. Friends,
4: how'd you like to thrill your favorite youngster with some of the most exciting toys of the year? Picture the breathless excitement of any child surrounded by six gaily colored balloon-like giant animals up to three feet long and all for the low, low price of just one dollar. First, you get bounce the Clown with Round Pot Belly and Funny Nose. Next comes Hoppy, the Australian Kangaroo. Third, there's Roscoe, the roller skating bear. He's two feet tall and looks almost like real. Fourth, there's Whitey, the fat indoor snowman. And fifth, Mortimer, the giant mouse, 18 inches long and sure to scare the whiskers off any cat. That's five different giant animals. But now hold your breath for the most sensational toy of all, the star of the whole Christmas season, the Jolly Giant Talking Santa Claus, guaranteed to make everybody's Christmas a merrier one. He's a big, roly-poly, happy Santa. He stands erect on two legs, is actually over three feet tall and 32 inches around. Best of all, he actually talks. Just pull the tape and he says, Merry Christmas for all to hear. He's the biggest, merriest talking as Santa ever. Sure to please your youngsters and spread good cheer. Yes, giant Santa proves there really is a Santa Claus. That's a total of six giant animals made of brightly colored pre-formed sturdy latex, which the kids can easily inflate. And the cost, just one dollar, not for each. Just $1 for all six of these lovable giants who'll turn your home into a circus parade. And here's a surprise. Mail your order today and you'll also receive absolutely free Peter the Rabbit, actually over two feet tall with big red ears almost nine inches long. But you must send now. Rush $1 plus 10 cents for packing and mailing for each set you want to Giant Animals, Box 90, Grand Central Station, New York City. If not delighted with every one of your seven giant animals, return them to the Super Animals Company for a full refund, but keep the giant talking Santa as our gift. Order now. Supplies are limited. Rush $1.10 for packing and mailing for each set in cash, check, or money order to Giant Animals Box 90, Grand Central Station, New York City. That's $1 plus 10 cents with your name and address. Mail to Giant Animals Box 90, Box 90, Grand Central Station, New York City. Giant Animals, Box 90, Grand Central Station, New York City.
2: Expense account item two, $185.65. Airfare, Hartford, Connecticut to Great Falls, Montana. The nearest point I could make to Culver by air. Item three, three bucks. I took the train to Culver. Sometimes when I'm having nightmares, I dream about the smelter stack standing up against the cadaverous hills that lie to the south of town. Everything, including the three or four feet of snow covered with a uniform dinginess, made Culver an ugly little town set in an ugly notch between two ugly mountains. The only hotel in town was the Butte. It happened to be four stories high. It also happened to be the place where George Henderson had met his death. Okay, just a minute. Dollar? Yeah. I'm Eve Holton, sheriff here. You're from the insurance people, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Been expecting that you'd be in sooner or later. Well, I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Holton. Uh, Call me Eve, son. Everybody does. And, hey, uh, got a drink on you? Uh, No, I haven't. Well, I got one on me. (laughs) Nice and chilly, too. (laughs) Well, I'll see if there's some glasses around here, sheriff. You didn't waste any time looking me up. No, I guess I didn't, son. Thought it would save a little time this way. Knew you'd be looking me up sooner or later. Really thought we ought to have this drink together. Private. May not have any more together while you're here. Uh Well, health and happiness, boy. Uh, Same deal. Uh, uh. Now, this drink we're having... This is in your room, and I'm just a fellow welcoming you to Culver. In my office or on that street out there, I'm a sheriff, and I'm going to be real official. All right, go on. I want you to notice I'm not asking any questions of you, son. I'm just answering anything that you might want to ask me right now. All right. You're going to have to plow ahead yourself on this one, pretty much alone. And let me tell you what kind of plowing you got in store for you. Excuse me. Excuse <sighs> Now, first off, this is a little burg like you ain't used to. We got 3,500, 4,000 people living here. Some of them work in that mine you've seen on your way into town. And others hire out to work on the ranches around here. Some in business. Uh-huh. Very tight little place. We hardly ever fool around with anybody else. Sure. Now, you're here because your insurance company don't like to pay off on a policy without knowing whys and wherefores. They don't like the word accidental. Without knowing some of the details. No, they don't. There's a lot of people here, most people, who don't care about those details. As a matter of fact, son, they'd all just as soon put old George Henderson down in the ground and say it was an accident and let it go with that. Well, maybe it was, Sheriff. I don't know. But I'm going to find out. Yeah, well, now, let me go on. Those people who don't like the details don't like detail getters. You understand? Uh, yeah. Scare you any? Not yet. You do all right, son. So maybe you'd kind of like to get your coat on and come to your funeral with me. Starts at three. Andersons. Yeah. Give you a chance to look around, get the lay of the land. Okay. Good idea. I wondered what kind of bull workers insurance companies turned out. I like you, Dollar. You're all right. You ain't bothering with any questions till you got some worthwhile asking. You tired? A little. Well, this won't take too long. Half hour later, I was standing beside Sheriff Eve Holton on a flat-top hillside that served as a cemetery. The snow was white and gleaming under the winter sun of the mid-afternoon skies, the air cold and crisp.
3: thee our heavenly Father, who knoweth all things, we commit the body of our beloved to thy eternal care. Thy will be done. Will be
5: done.
3: Trusting ever in thy mercy, we invoke the consolation of thy sheltering wing. Earth to earth. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. In sure and certain hope of resurrection into eternal life, in the name of the the Father, Father, and and of the Son, Son, and of the Holy Holy Ghost.
2: Ghost. Amen. Yeah. Here. Oh, that's that. Yeah. Poor George. Eve. Hmm. Which one is Mrs. Henderson? There. That's Pauline Henderson. Yeah, that's her. Well, she can't be more than 25. 26, to be exact, Dollar. I went to her birthday party two months ago. Well, how old was George Henderson? 59. Went to his party, too. <sighs> yeah. Pretty thing, hmm? Very. Any other family? Nope. No other wife, huh? Nope. Want to meet her? No, not right now. Mm-hmm. Well, suit yourself kind of thought you might start thinking when you got a look at her. Hmm? Now, nah, nah, just keep on the way you're doing. You're doing fine. When there's something you got to know, you'll find out. Well, Leif, I already know one thing. Yeah? What's that? I'm going to ask for a coroner's inquest. Just from seeing her? Just from seeing her. Mm-hmm. You're a sly one, Johnny. Johnny Dollar. Keith Holton. How are you this morning? Oh, pretty good, Sheriff. How about yourself? Oh, I'm fine, Dandy. You were over at the city hall this morning, huh? Yeah, that's right. I requested the coroner to conduct an inquest into the death of George Henderson. I know. The coroner left it up to me. Huh? Yeah. Came into my office and asked me if I had any reason to conduct an inquest into the death of George Henderson. I told him I didn't have any reason, but I'd do it if I was ordered to. Well, what happens now? Well, somebody will have to decide whether there's going to be an inquest or not. Who? Mayor, I guess. I don't know. Anyhow, you stirred up some action, and you'll be getting it. Yeah, where? Just stay where you are, son. My guess is it'll come
5: right to you.
2: (laughs) Expense accounts submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Paramount Insurance Adjusters, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Henderson matter. The death of George Henderson of Culver, Montana, where I am today. A casual certification announced the death is accidental, having been received by a fall from a hotel window. No one in Culver seemed to be too worried about any of the details, but details are my job. That's why I requested the coroner's office to conduct an inquest. I took Sheriff Holton's suggestion and waited to see what my request flushed up in the dingy colored mountains of Culver. An hour later, my first bird winged up to my hotel room. He was a tall, gray haired man in a Stetson, earmuffs, and the western version of a Chesterfield. His honor, Mayor Newton.
6: Mr. Dollar. I want to talk to you about this request you made for an inquest into George Henderson's death.
2: Yes, sir, Mr. Mayor.
6: You are aware, of course, that George's death, and he was one of my beloved and personal friends for many, many years, was a great blow to the entire community. No, I didn't know that, Mayor Newton.
2: Huh? Only the smallest part of the community were at his funeral yesterday afternoon, his widow and, I'd say, not more than half a dozen other people.
6: Ah. Well, I understand that your insurance company is not quite satisfied with the certification, is that correct?
2: Uh, more or less.
6: What would they need to be satisfied, sir?
2: An exact knowledge of how Mr. Henderson fell out that hotel window.
6: I would rather no inquest were held into Mr. Henderson's death. Why? Why, sir, George Henderson is dead and buried. It should remain that way. If an inquest were to be held, it would only prove that George fell out of a window... I beg you to consider that, Mr. Dollar.
2: You seem very certain that an
6: investigation
2: would prove that death
6: was accidental, man. It was accidental. George fell out the window. Well, now I can't just tell that to my insurance company, can I? <clears throat> uh, we are a small community with a rudimentary police force, not equipped in any way for an exhaustive investigation, nor for the financial burden of such an investigation I strongly urge you to reconsider this request for a coroner's inquest. You do? I do indeed. His untimely death was an unfortunate occurrence, outside the pale of any of our poor abilities to foresee. A terrible, terrible accident. I'd like proof of that.
2: Proof? An inquest, Mr. Mayor.
6: An inquest. All right.
2: My interview with Mayor Newton had convinced me that I'd get no real help from him in the Henderson matter. Quite the contrary. Expense account item three, 20 cents, coffee. Myself and Sheriff Eve Holton. Well, you got it. Huh? At the direction of Mr. Jackson. That's our coroner. He deputized me temporarily to conduct an inquest. It's going to take place tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, City Hall. Tomorrow, Sheriff? Room 207. Well, Eve, you won't have time to do anything. No, I guess I won't. Not much, anyhow. Oh, brother... The mayor pitched me pretty hard for not having the inquest. Knew he would. Any idea why? Nope. You think somebody asked him to stop it? Yeah. Who? Don't know, Johnny. Honest. The next morning, I struggled my way against a belligerent north wind to City Hall and the inquest, if you could call it that. I sat in the back of the room and listened while a Dr. Horace Nam assured the six-man jury that George Henderson was quite dead when he was called out of his office and examined him on the street. Dr. Nam reckoned George had died from a broken neck. An ancient bellhop, a desk clerk, and a chambermaid gave their versions of what had happened the day Henderson fell out the window. Now, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, so I help you, God.
7: Mm -hmm. I do, Sheriff.
2: I'm the acting coroner today, Miss Cubley. Sit down. Now... When did you see Mr. Henderson last?
7: Last Thursday morning.
2: Where was this, Miss Copley?
7: At the Butte Hotel.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. You know what time of the morning it was?
7: About 10 o'clock. I went in to make his bed and straighten up his room. I see. I made his bed while he worked on some papers there, and then I left.
2: Did you see him after that? No, sir. You didn't see him come downstairs for breakfast or anything? No, sir. Do you know if anybody went up to see him?
7: I believe I saw Mrs. Henderson in the lobby after that.
2: Do you see Mrs. Henderson in this room?
7: Yes, sir. I I believe that's Mrs. Henderson over there.
2: No, that's Mrs. Henderson. Now, do you know if Mrs. Henderson visited Mr. Henderson in his room?
7: No, sir. I don't know that.
2: Miss Cubley, did you happen to notice if anyone else went up to Mr. Henderson's room that morning?
7: No, sir. It went on all morning
2: long. Sheriff Holton, acting in the coroner's position, questioned person after person... All had more or less the same vague knowledge concerning George Henderson's death. I was most interested in Pauline Henderson's testimony. Now then, Mrs. Henderson, when did you last see your husband?
7: Thursday. I went to see him about noon, maybe a little before.
2: Where did you see him, Mrs. Henderson?
7: At the Butte Hotel in his room there.
2: The same room he occupied prior to his death? Of course. The same room from which he fell? Yes. Were you alone when you went to see him, Mrs. Henderson?
7: Yes. Yes. I must have left before 12.30. I had an appointment at the dentist.
2: And that was the last time you saw your husband alive?
7: Yes. I was still in the dentist's chair when they told me he'd fallen out the window.
2: What, uh, what did you and your husband talk about, Mrs. Henderson?
7: Must I answer that?
2: Well, we're trying to determine something here. I'd appreciate it.
7: George and I discussed our divorce.
2: Could you tell us about that?
7: George and I decided to part about a month ago. He moved out of the house and moved into the hotel.
2: Mm-hmm. Outside of the divorce, were you on good terms? Oh,
7: yes, we've always been on good terms.
2: Mrs. Henderson, do you think there's a chance that he might have thrown himself out that window? Oh, Mrs. <coughs> Mrs. Henderson, do you think he might have thrown himself out that window?
7: No, at least not over us, if that's what you mean.
2: As far as you knew, was your husband in good health?
7: Yes, he was.
2: You happen to know when he was examined last?
7: A month or so ago. He was in perfect health.
2: Uh, One more thing. Did Mr. Henderson drink? Yes. Did he drink that morning with you?
7: I think he had a couple of drinks. Yes, yes, he had a drink or two while we were talking. He could have stumbled to that window.
2: The clothes were New York, the perfume Paris, the jewelry Tiffany's. The look, you might expect it on the Riviera, where everybody tries to act bored with too many good things in life. Her dress, blank for the occasion of death, was cut too well and too carefully for her to pass as a grieving widow. She answered the questions without hesitation or emotion. Fifteen minutes later, the jury brought in the expected verdict. Therefore, it is the opinion of this jury that the said deceased George Walter Henderson came to his death as a result of injuries incurred in a fall from the fourth floor of the Butte Hotel at or about 12.45 p.m. on the 19th day of this month. No evidence to the contrary. It is deemed and declared that the manner of death was accidental. Adjourned. And that was it. As far as Culver's people, its police, and its mayor were concerned. Yeah, the mayor.
6: Well, Mr. Dollar, I hope you're satisfied.
2: It was a pretty good inquest, Mayor Newton.
6: I trust the official verdict of the jury will answer any questions your insurance company might have had on their minds and clear this whole matter up, hmm? I'll forward it to them and tell them
2: the circumstances under which the inquest was conducted, Mr. Mayor. Satisfactory, I trust? No, but it served a purpose. Now that everybody thinks it was an accident, everybody will breathe easier. Certainly. Yeah. If everybody's relaxing like that... Somebody's going to get careless. See you, Mr. Mayor.
1: Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's episode of The Henderson Matter. People
2: do get careless tomorrow, all over Culver, Montana. Join us, won't you?
0: Welcome back. Now, as is the case with most small towns portrayed in old-time radio, Culver is not a real place. However, they put it near a real place in terms of Great Falls, Montana. Now, as long-time listeners may have heard me say a time or two, I spent many of my younger years in Montana. But that was Northwest Montana, And it's a very different uh, terrain and a very different state when you get onto the eastern side of the Continental Divide. Johnny's description of how Culver looked seems accurate to what I've read about so many of those towns that had heavy mining in the eastern part of Montana. I loved Eve, uh, even though I have never met a person named Eve, and I've lived in the western United States all my life. Maybe I just don't go to the right places. Now, I will say that I was not entirely sure of Johnny's approach with the mayor after the inquest, in which Johnny acknowledged that the results were not enough to satisfy the insurance company, but that people would start making mistakes, but... I think that sometimes Johnny, when he's dealing with reluctant local officials, takes a bit of a bull in the china shop approach in terms of trying to disrupt things in order to get to the truth. Now we turn to listener comments and feedback, and we have a comment from Sherry regarding episodes three through five of the Broderick Matter. And she writes, I love the Super Chicken reference in your commentary the other day. You knew the job was dangerous when you took it. None of my friends know Super Chicken, so it cracked me up when you said it. Well, thanks so much, Sherry. I don't know if I ever think about how obscure that reference is. Now, for those who don't know, Super Chicken was produced by Jay Ward, who also did the much more famous Rocky and Bullwinkle show. And it was one of three cartoons, along with Tom Slick and the titular feature George of the Jungle, that appeared as part of the George of the Jungle TV series, which aired for a grand total of 17 episodes. I think the only way I ended up seeing it was through the magic of $0.49 VHS rentals back in the uh, early 90s. And not a whole lot stuck with me from that series, other than, of course, the George of the Jungle theme song. And that quote from Super Chicken, there are just so many uses for it. And then David writes, Pretty near the top of my favorite Johnny Dollar stories. I was getting all emotional in the first episode just knowing what was coming. I did notice this time through that the whole check forgery plot line felt like a bit of an awkward insertion, as you pointed out. It's also really struck me this time how they tie her behavior back to the initial trauma slash survivor's guilt of losing her parents in the auto accident and the resulting feelings of abandonment and unworthiness of being loved. Seemed like she really could have benefited from your current sponsor, BetterHelp. Well, thanks so much for the comment, David, and The Broderick Matter is a great story with a very memorable ending. I did not actually plan that out in terms of how well it ended up tying into the sponsor. They just picked the dates and that was how it landed, but I thought it was serendipitous timing. All right, well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Lisa, Patreon supporter since July of 2015, currently supporting the program at the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Lisa. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, or mark the notification bell. All those great things that help the channel to grow. Join us back here on Friday for the conclusion of the Henderson matter, but coming up tomorrow it's Dangerous Assignment where... Holcomb was the best friend I had, Mitchell. Yeah. You know,
5: that report he had, I suppose you know it's worth a lot of money. Money? Yeah. I'm sure that certain interests would pay a big pile to get their hands on it and wouldn't be too particular what else they had to do to get it. My job's developing plastics. I'm afraid I'm not up on the international aspects of it. Sure. Uh, You happen to know if Holcomb was alone here in Quebec? No, his secretary, Phyllis Baxter, was waiting for him. Oh, and I guess we'd better talk to her. See if she can give us any additional information. I thought you'd want to talk to her. That's where we're heading now. Oh, good. You know her pretty well? Uh, just slightly. Why? Uh, she pretty trustworthy? Uh, sure, as far as I know. No, This is her father, not here. When did the Holcomb arrive in Quebec? Day before yesterday. And he was killed last night. Well, that means he was in town about 24 hours. Yeah, I... Go ahead. I-, I didn't get in until this morning. But the way things turned out, I sure wish I'd gotten here sooner.